Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. I've been seized upon in the last two or three weeks, and I still had one teaching left to wrap up the series on shame, which would have made it eight parts, and I didn't plan on eight parts. I just, but I've gotten, that's gotten bumped. This has so gripped my heart. I'm, I'm going to try to do a summary overview. Summary overviews for me never work well. So I'm praying for the miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit, okay? Summary overviews for me turn into lengthy rabbit chases, multiple rabbits. So would you agree with me in prayer that that not take place today? Just go ahead and say amen right there. You won't offend me. Okay, thank you. You're rescuing yourself to leave from this building. That prayer, by the way, will ensure that you get lunch before the lunch crowd has left whatever restaurant you're going to go to. If you'll pray that prayer, you'll get there in time, okay? But um, I'm still wrestling because it's so living in me. I mean, as I'm studying, it's one of those times that conspicuously moves me emotionally into tears, I have been seized upon by the kingdom of God. I've never done a series on the kingdom of God. And reading and looking, as a matter of fact, it is the most not taught on topic. I mean, you just can't. You can find them out. So if you go fact check me and Google it, you're going to find some series on it. And then the ones I begin looking at, um, good you know, references to it, But something seized my heart this week, and it's there that I'm going to try to give the oversight. And we're going to start and we're going to end on what is it? Okay, would you say aloud with me, what is it? Now, here's where you're going to end, so I'll let you practice. You can turn to the person next to you, and you need to sort of do your hands like this. Turn your head sideways. Practice. You've got to practice it right now because it's it's where we're going to land. And you need to look at them and say, what? Do your face. See how I'm doing my face? What is it? Now, you don't need to add anything to that because some of you who are married are thinking that, you know, I just asked you that question early this morning, but that's not the question you asked. You said, what is it? What is it with you? Okay, that, that, that doesn't count. That's not the one we're looking for, all right? So what is it? Now, in, in understanding, and I've got to give this really quick. See, Paul writes that the kingdom of God, that's... See, if I say this, when I've taught on it through the years, and when I speak to it with and to other pastors or leaders, I say, say, the kingdom of God is the rule, the realm, and the reign of God Almighty. How many, help, how, how many people did that just help? It didn't help me. I mean, I can say, well, and, and it's really a good theological nutshell. It is the rule, the realm, and it is, it's the authority, it is the scope, and then the power of God to reign. He, Romans says he reigns over death. That grace pushed back and conquered death. It's a, it's a power. So that's a good thing, but it still doesn't mean anything. See, the kingdom of God, the phrase, is one of the most obtuse and abstract. You can't nail it down. What is it? And the problem is, is Jesus even describes it that way in John chapter 3. He says, well, you know, the work of the Spirit is the wind blows where it does, and you really never know where it's come from and where it's going. He's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, oh, okay, thanks. That doesn't help me at all. So, so what is this kingdom of God? Well, what we know, and, and I think a couple of things that you hear so often, because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, and I believe the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, 
Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven a lot, but I think the two terms are interchangeable. There are those who would argue otherwise. But what we do learn is it is that, that place where God's rule is uncontested. In the kingdoms of the world that the Bible speaks of, the rule of God is contested. That, that contesting started in the Garden of Eden. Initially, the, the, rule, the kingdom of God launched here, and it was not contested, it was not resisted, and then the adversary slithers in. And so now there's a pushback. But there is still this realm, because the word heaven has at least three different points of application in Scripture. We'll go into those more perhaps in the weeks to come. But listen, for, for today, just wrap your head around this with me. It is that invisible realm where God's existence and God's will is uncontested. In other words, his word is the final rule. Now, why would it be then, what would you expect to be the manifestation or the full expression of the kingdom of God here? It would be that place where God's word is final, or as we've said here, that the opinion of God is uncontested. That is the point at which, now, here's the deal. Until we see him face to face at the end of the age, this flesh, this humanity, is custom designed to push back against the kingdom of God. It's designed to contest and, and push back and resist. But those of us who are disciples of the kingdom are those who say, I'm inviting that rule in that realm. Well, how do I do that? Well, we learned when Jesus would share in John chapter 6, he would say, well, here is how it works. It's the Spirit of God and the Word of God bringing the truth of God. So the Holy Spirit at work in us, the Word of God, and see, we study that a lot last year when we went through the whole opinion series or did a drive-by on it, it's the point at which the Word of God is written on my heart and it begins to take on expression. But here's what I stumbled across. It's been years and years and years. <clears throat> what does that look like when the Word of God takes on expression? Well, when, when the kingdom began to be... Um, oh, I, I need to correct something here. I'm, and I really... My, my prayer was, Lord, let me tell a story this morning, and then we can begin to take it apart, okay? We say the kingdom of heaven just arrived with Jesus. Well, it was at hand. Beloved, the kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom, which means this, that time, space, and matter exist within. Okay, draw this big bubble. Now make the bubble infinite. In other words, now the bubble has no end, or no edges. That is the kingdom of God. Time and space, everything that we know, exists within that. But what happened here is we created another bubble within a bubble that has the capacity to push back and resist the influence of the kingdom, but that kingdom continues to break in and break through into this world through us and in my heart. So there is this invisible, immaterial world matter, okay, that's just out there. We talk about it a lot. When we worship, there's a veil. I've dropped that curtain before and reread, coincidentally, Revelation 4 and 5, that if God could lift the veil, you would see that there is a greater reality than this matter we can touch. Matter of fact, that is the eternal one. It is the one we will live in forever when this deteriorates and is no more. 
Everybody got that? Okay, good. So here's, here's, here's what I found interesting as I begin, and I've just, I've spent weeks in this. I've told you I'm going through the Sermon on the Mount again, and I've never done a complete series on the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount because it just, I bang my head on the wall on it because it's just this amazing thing. Well, that's what we're about to do, so get ready for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. But the Sermon on the Mount is the handbook on the kingdom. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there at a banner verse as you begin chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, go home and read it. Read it several times this week. It'll frustrate you. It'll frustrate you because Jesus is calling us to a new plane of living where our response is, we'll come to that. Well, we'll come to our response in a moment. Our response is a bit strange. The kingdom of heaven. So how do we get to that rule in that realm? Well, when Jesus showed up on the planet, he goes into the wilderness. He's now fully grown, and he goes into the wilderness to fast and to pray for 40 days. Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4 tells that story. He's tempted, three different temptations. One of them is significant in Matthew 4, or well, they're all three significant, but he challenged the, the, the devil, recreates, if you will, the assault on the Garden of Eden. Listen to the Bible story. Uh, Romans chapter 5 says that Jesus was the second Adam. The first Adam listened to the serpent, the adversary, that's described as that, as he slithered in and he began to trick him into taking other paths that would ultimately separate them from God. But not so with the Son of God. He slithers into the wilderness. He crawls up to the Son of God. He says, do this, do that. And here he says, why don't you just turn those, those stones into bread? You know you're hungry, bro. Watch the response of Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 4. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Okay? Look at that on the screen. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, see, there we have a problem because that, here comes that obtuse stuff. Okay, well, you know, what does that even mean? But see, what we miss what we miss is that Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy. That's in the Old Testament for those of you that are new. Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It's the fourth book of the Bible. Moses is recording the history of their experiences in the wilderness. And he writes these words in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's, verse 3, it says, He humbled you and let you be hungry and or but fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that, here it comes, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Uh, Gabe, you can leave that verse there. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, verse 4 says, your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. I used to have memory, and I should have looked it up and referenced it, how many miles, much of it was done walking in circles, but how many miles they walked over 40 years. And said, you survived it, 
your clothes didn't wear out, and your feet didn't swell. I'll come back to that later. But here he quotes that. He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word. What was he saying? He said the word of God caused there to be a materialization of this stuff you came to know as manna. And here comes our sermon title. And I really have never taught on this. I've made passing anecdotal or humorous reference to it. The word manna, and many of you here will know it. The word manna is from the Hebrew word that literally means, what is it? What is it? For 40 years, they called it, what is it? He said, your fathers didn't know it, and you didn't know it. There was nothing you could compare it to in the material world, so what you called it was, what is it? What is it? It was absolutely foreign. It's my belief. Now, this is a hypothesis here. See, at creation, Genesis 1, God creates everything from nothing. The immaterial, the Im, I can't even say world, because world would be inaccurate. The immaterialness of his existence, he creates everything that takes on material form. The creating of the manna is unique because I don't know of another time, and this is the cursory glance, I'm going to dig into it, that he goes back almost to a creation moment. He said, I'm not making anything out of the stuff that you see or anything you have on hand. I'm going to sustain you by making stuff that you've never seen. I'm going to cause you to be fed by stuff that you've never seen from an existence and made from a realm that you've never seen. It's going to sustain you. You're going to go out and collect it every day. There were specific instructions given, and there was nothing they could ever compare it to for 40 years, so they never changed its name. It was always called, what is it? Now, that doesn't sound like a lot until we start coming into the kingdom of God. Now, in John chapter 6, Jesus is meeting with people in the aftermath of having fed the 5,000, and some few people think the 4,000 in between. All four Gospels record it, the feeding of the 5,000. But only Matthew, and I don't have this scripture in chapter 14, records this statement. When Jesus, remember the story, go find, and they found a little boy with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves. Only Matthew records this version. It says, he looked to the heavens. Now, see, we think, and I've even taught that he just sort of looked up and prayed. No. I believe that the Son of God looked to the invisible realm of an immaterial world where the Father's rule is uncontested and his word is absolutely not resisted in any ways. And he says, Father, I'm looking into that world for you to create here a moment that otherwise normally wouldn't exist or be possible within this realm. And suddenly, that food fed what could have been upwards of 15,000 people from really a Happy Meal, something less than the size of a Happy Meal from McDonald's. How does that happen? Well, they began and said, well, show us something. Our fathers fed us or were fed in the wilderness by God. But I want you to watch what Jesus says the day or two after. Verse 30, so they said to him, what do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What do you perform? 
Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of the heaven to eat. Now remember, Jesus had just fed them the day before. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you. By the way, code words in your Bibles, on your devices, whenever you see out of heaven, circle it, highlight, and put a little note with a question mark that says kingdom, kingdom. See, heaven is a code word from the place of God's uncontested rule. Okay, watch this. Now, Jesus then said to them, Truly I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is not not which comes down out of heaven and gives to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always, excuse me, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven. There it is. Okay, there it is, the kingdom, if you will, and gives to the world. Then he said to them, Lord, give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But what's that about? He says, in the face of normal physical hunger and the realities of this world, the effects of living in a material world, pray for a manifestation from another world that will fill you. Well, watch this. Verse 63, it says, It is the Spirit, capital S, who gives life for the flesh. That can either mean my body or the material world that profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Now, you've got to plug that verse 63 into the previous verses because he said, The words I'm going to give you, they are bread and our life. And now here he says, the spirit and the words I give you are life. So he leaves out the little clause, if you will. Again, forgive me, stay with me. I only got a couple more minutes, and I promise you we're going to land at a place that's important. Matter of fact, we're closer than you think. Look at the person next to you say, I'm not sure I believe him. Go ahead and tell him that. It's okay. You faithless generation. So here's where I want to land. When you go through the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm not going to go through, I'm just going to pick the first couple, the Beatitudes I have taught on in the past, and and we'll come by and not spend a lot of time because they're worthy of spending eight or ten weeks on, but we can't do that. We're just going to probably take them all at one shot. But as you begin to move through the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus calling them to an expression of faith and encounter with God that exceeded the the expression of faith of the Pharisees. That would have blown them away, just absolutely blown them away. Wait a minute, these are the most religious people. And he says, no, they're missing it. They don't even get it. So let me take you to the adaptation here, okay, that in... Uh, watch this. I'm going to read fast and get to a point. Verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. No, does anyone light a lamp and put it under a blanket, but on the lampstand, and it gives to all light, light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Now, why is he mentioning that? that they may see your good works, because see, the Pharisees were people of good works, and I want you to see my good works, but who did it glorify? That they may see your good works, and what? And glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Gabe, please leave that verse up there. 
You remember that for fun, we replace doxa and dokia, glory, with the word opinion because it's the root term. And ultimately, the glory of God alive in us is the point at which God's opinion begins to reign supremely. So it is the reflection of the fullness of God's opinion. You see, God's glorified when I live by the opinion of his word in an increasingly uncontested fashion when I've had voices speak to me through the years for 20, 30, 40, or 60 years that tell me otherwise. There comes a moment in time when I say, Father, I'm praying for a materialization from another world where the richness and the power of your word is so manifested in my heart that it begins to right here, that you begin to be glorified where you, the state of your opinion reigns supremely that it pushes back any other opinion in our life. And so people look at it and say, what is it? Let's keep going. We're going to do this some more, okay? You see, you get to verse 21, and the Pharisees said, "You're not. thou shalt not murder. Verse 21 says, you've heard the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say that everyone who is even angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Now, did he mean people were going to hell? No, no, he's, and we'll take this apart. That's not what he meant. He's giving us a hyperbole, if you will. But watch what he's saying. See, the Pharisees were good saying, you've done me wrong, and I promise you I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to talk trash about you. What happens when that person who's done you wrong and, and culture and the material world says, well, you're licensed to talk trash on them. As a matter of fact, for the last 15 years, what else do you think Facebook was created for? You can go ahead and laugh there or not. You can talk trash about them all that you want. But what happens when you stand up in front of it and said, no, they've done me wrong. I'm not going to kill them, but I'm not going to talk trash about them or speak evil of them. People are going to look at you and say, what is it? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Because see, ultimately we were created in a fashion where none of these things will actually quench. See, all of these things are points at which we can seek to have our hunger our hunger satisfied. But let's, let's, let, me, uh, uh, let me see. Oh, here, here's one that will really mess with us. Now, before we even get there, let me prep you for this. For those of you who aren't familiar, the, the teaching on unforgiveness around here, it, we have two or three little encapsulated statements. But unforgiveness is essentially making an object of worship out of the person that violated me. And how do I do that? Well, you've seen me model it many times. Let me see if I need this anymore. Uh, I don't think I do. Let me. I'll, I'll grab one in case I need to go back. This is me. This is my heart. Someone hurts me, speaks ill of me, violates me, and my heart has a piece torn away, and they, they run away with that. You get to be the bad guy that took a piece of my heart, okay? So he, he runs away with a piece of my heart, and he's over there, and he's a crud ball. I'm going to talk trash about him. I'm going to do everything in the world, and I'm certainly not going to forgive him. What happens when I do that? You see, I am essentially saying, come here, son, and bring that piece of paper. <clears throat> and if he had, put that piece of paper back there, okay, and make that. Grab the other one. Now, just sort of wave your hand over that and make them magically go back together. Can you do that? How's that working? No, not too good. No. Okay. See, now, this is fun for me, not so much for him, but thank you. I'm tr thank you for letting me pick on you. Only God has the power to make W-H-O-L-E, B, 
because only God is H-O-L-Y. The Hebrew word, I've told you, you've heard it over and over, basic teaching on forgiveness. Kodesh is the sphere, the word holy, is the sphere of the divine, free from moral decay and human imperfection. Thus, he is complete, lacking nothing, needing nothing. Only he has the power. I wish I had some magic act that I could do this. Has the power to take that and make it whole again. But here's the deal when the kingdom comes. Hold on to that. You bring this broken heart to God. God says, once you enter the kingdom, I don't need that peace to make you whole again. I created out of nothing the same way I spoke and manna appeared. And they said, what is it? What do you do when you show up with a whole heart and that person had nothing to do? He hadn't even come back and asked forgiveness, never attempted to bring it back. And yet you hold your heart up for display before people and they say, what is it? And you say, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is it that makes me whole again? Okay, okay this is going to get a lot more fun in the weeks ahead. Let me see what else I got. Okay, men, are you here? I want all the men to say amen. Okay, you got that? Oh, I didn't finish. Wait a minute. I'll come back to you, man, in a minute. Matter of fact, I'll stop there because I've about used up the time I need. Let me finish this section, Okay. Verse 23, Matthew chapter 5, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, that means you're going to worship, okay? Everybody say worship. Everybody got that? That was the, old, that was the, the language for that? You're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Now watch. Now, for whatever reason, justified or not, you're that guy. They think you've hurt them, okay? Now you, I, have become their object of worship. Everybody get that? You need to listen to this one. I, the role's reversed. Here, you get the big piece of paper. Give me that one back. Okay. Now, I'm that guy. And he says, until he brings it back. Now, I don't have the power to make whole, even though if I bring it back. But what happens, watch, if I'm on my way to worship and I recall that he can't because his worship's broken. Do you get that? Watch the poetic tension. I'm on my way to worship, and I remember there's a guy who can't worship because I've become his object of worship. Watch what Scripture says here. Leave your offering there. Now, how, watch this. We're going to have empty church next week. Here it goes. Father, on the way here next week, Sunday morning when they get up out of bed, when we get up out of bed, if we even wait that long, Seize upon us so that manna happens from another world, so that something appears out of another world and we're reminded that there is a person. Well, I'm not going to call them because I really didn't do anything wrong. It's their problem. That's all right. We live in a what is it world. Do you know when you call, do you know the number of people that I've called because I do this stuff and I call and say, listen, you know, this happened years ago. As it comes to mind, I did it with a pastor about four months ago. And he was absolutely baffled, speechless, didn't know what to say, and that's okay, because he knew what he had done. I knew my attitude that I had held in my heart against him, and I am absolutely certain when I hung up, he said, I don't know what that was. What is it? You see, when we begin to live by the kingdom, when I realize, and that's the principle, we're going to take this apart. Everybody getting this? Come on. There's what is it? What is it happens all over our lives. Okay, here's one I'm going to stop at. Actually, I don't want to stop here, but I'm going to. Men, now we'll try again. All men say amen. Okay, good. Listen close. 
Verse 27, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I've got to clear some things up because it has been a while since I've taught on this. Let me just say this quickly. To look at a woman, men, and be tempted is not sin. To look at a woman, listen, and even have a momentary temptation of desire, that's not sin. But to look at a woman, I want to say this again, to look at a woman and for there to, be, to come desire, that isn't even the sin yet. You can read it. To look at her to desire is the sin. Everybody got that? When the desire comes, you reject it. So let, let me just finish here. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman and lusts for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you're right, I make you stumble, tear it out, and throw it from you. See, watch all these hyperbole things that he doesn't literally mean for us to do. How many are relieved or we would have one-eyed, one-handed men, you know, just all throughout the church? That wasn't. Did you know that? Here's a little sidebar thing. I busted guys because I've walked up and watched them look at women the way that men are programmed to look at women. They, they, they do. I discovered that. I discovered that she will tell you this story. First year of ministry, first couple of months of ministry. I can tell you the name of the young lady sitting on the front row during the middle of the sermon. I can tell you what she was wearing, and I can tell you that I had thoughts about the substance of her body. And while I'm there preaching, I'm going, oh, God, you're going to strike me dead. I just had that thought. You say, dude, I can't believe you're confessing that in church. Where do you, the first, this isn't the first place I've confessed it. First place I confessed it was two seconds after service was over, and I brought Brenda. I said, you won't believe what just happened. I said, I cannot believe you tell your wife that. Who else am I going to tell? God already knows. She needs to know. I need somebody praying for me. I need an advocate before the throne. Come on. And I'm thinking, oh, see, I'm thinking the other side of that. What is this? Okay. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. So here's what I'm telling you. So what happens, man, when you're at work this week where all the guys where, oh, by the way, I said I busted men because men do this thing. Women walk up and they go. That's what men do. Women will tell you because I ask. They expect men to do that. What happens to redeemed men? When you look people in the eye, when you look people who are women in the eye, which is the window of their soul, not other physical parts of their body, as much as you may think otherwise. You don't have to shout me down right here, okay? <laughs> oh, my. It's very quiet in here. There are a few amens from either the soprano or baritone segments of this audience. Mm, okay? So let's just pause here for a moment. So what happens when you're standing around with guys at work and one woman walks over and, and there's this little conversation on the side? Woo, you know, she's that and that's not. Yeah. Well. Uh, I don't know if that works for me, guys. Watch what happens. Manna, somebody tell me what it is. What? You let the kingdom of God manifest in that moment from an immaterial world where you're not doing and responding to. The same way manna resolved the matters of hunger, everything on this list is some hunger trying to be satisfied somewhere. But God says, if you'll allow the kingdom to rule in your life, I will satisfy that hunger and I will quench that hunger. I will remove that hunger to where you'll stand up <clears throat> and you'll say, 
oh, guys, I'm sorry, I can't roll with that. And they're going to look at you and say, what is this? Manna. Just look back at them. It's manna. They're already confused. You can add one more thing to it. What's up with him? That's all right. It's manna. You know what you're talking about. You and God walk away smiling because we don't respond to the same hungers. Now, we're going to look at this in, in the weeks to come, but here's where I want to land because I got to practice this sermon last night with a precious mother who is not here and among us this morning. Yesterday, she learned that her adult daughter <clears throat> passed away. And the concern is that this moment, and I'm not telling secrets. The concern is, is that it may have very well been brought about through an overdose. So as I sat with her in her home last night, and just a sense of the Holy Spirit, I think, manifesting in that place. I got a chance to sort of share with her a three-minute version of this. And I know you wish I would have shared that version with you, but I'm sorry you got the whole thing today. But I said, Father, please give to my sister a what-is-it baptism right now. That in the face of grief, that should absolutely decimate and destroy because of concerns and a broken heart that's being ripped in half and all of the echoes of could I have done more, could I have done this, was I contributing every hiss and whisper of the serpent that will come to torment her in the name of Jesus. I pray that there would be a materialized, see Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We don't even know what those words mean. We really don't. I mean, they're the most obtuse words. Righteousness means the order of God. Joy is the root term for grace. It is the fountainhead of, of the existence and substance of the kingdom that we can't even fully describe. And peace, whether it's shalom or irene in the Greek, uh, it means the full satiation and satisfaction. How can you have a full soul in a moment when your heart's been ripped out? Until Thessalonians says, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope because we have a hope. And the Holy Spirit suddenly, that agent of the kingdom of God, acting on this end of an advocate with the Father that says, my sister needs a touch from the inside out and just beyond the edges of a material world that she can't see. Father, we need you to create something. Because watch what else said. Watch what else. It said the clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell or grow weary. I want to add another part to that. Father, I don't know that I have the strength to take another step in my life right now, but yet by your spoken word, these things won't deteriorate before me and I won't wear out. I'm going to take one more step and one more step and one more step to where the world around me is going to look and say, what is it? What do you do when you've been abused and trashed by someone so many times? The best they deserved was you to punch them right in the face but instead you bless those who curse you. You love your enemies and you forgive them and release them and they look back at you and say, what is it? And you say, it's manna. It's manna as surely as the stuff they ate because I didn't make it. I didn't want it. He didn't make it from anything I brought him because the only thing I brought him was revenge and brokenness and I wanted him to crush you like a cockroach. But because I sought the kingdom of God, he made something from another world that manifests itself as forgiveness in my heart and I join you in standing in front of the mirror of God's word and saying, what is it? What do you do on in this thing when it says to turn the other cheek? What do you do, Rick, the whole thing about the clothes violating laws of thermodynamics? What do you do when my brother here was pronounced, had hospice come in and said, here's what you've got. 
How many months did they give you? Weeks, months the first time? Six weeks? How long ago was that? What do you do? I'm not, I'm not foo-fooing the medical field or science. That's not what's going on here. Please hear me. What do you do? Because I know story after story after story like this. Well, you got six weeks to live. Has the condition gone away? No. Are the symptoms there? No. Okay, wait. The condition's there, but the symptoms went away. Would you please listen to... God didn't take them to, to TJ Maxx or to Dillard's every week to get them new clothes. They wore the same clothes. God just says, I'm going to alter from another world the laws of thermodynamics and entropy that said over time these fibers should wear out. And see, then all they had was natural. They didn't even have synthetic fibers. They didn't have Kevlar clothes for the wilderness. They should have deteriorated and they should have worn away. But what do you do after 40 years when you said, yeah, this is the same one I got. This looks like brand new and I made it from that goat. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you say, what is it? What is it? Who here today would say, I need a what is it baptism? I don't care if it's a physical need. I don't care if it's a problem of brokenness or hurt or pain in your own soul. To the brothers who walked down here and knelt and prayed a little while ago, I want to tell you that there's still a kingdom of God that breaks through on our life and he works from a dimension and he doesn't need your stuff to make anything, to make what you need, what you need right now. Does everybody get that? We think that God can't fix things until we bring him enough of the pieces so that he can put it together and God said, no, I work from an immaterial world, and I created stuff. I did what is it at the foundation of the world long before they ever found manna. I shouldn't love the man I live with another moment. He's a jerk. I've hung in here 25 years, and I don't know why on earth I do, but I pray to God and say that I got an advocate with the Father who rings the telephone on my end. The Holy Spirit quickens something's in my, it's got something in my heart. I stand in front of the world uh, at the mirror and look at myself and say, what is it, girl? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on. I'm praying for a baptism of what is it in our church. That is the kingdom of God. Because I believe wherever the kingdom of God is brought to bear, the word of God, the spirit of God on a moment, it creates a what is it reality that we can't even comprehend. What is it? What is it? Now, stand to your feet if you would. I don't know what kind of job I've done in doing this summary. As I confess, summaries aren't my strong suit. But here's what I'm hoping you go away with. We are a modern scientific culture. We believe in sequence and processes. And we look to science to satisfy that just this past week actually yesterday we celebrated 50 years of a man landing on the moon and I watched a couple of different documentaries and all the science that went into it that was entirely foreign at the time we're conditioned to expect outcomes based upon material circumstances and situations but I want to declare to you this morning that I'm praying for an intervention of the kingdom of God that creates a what is it moment. I don't care if you know what it is. Suddenly, 
whatever it was that was going on is abated, pushed back, crowded back. It's made to go away. I'm still believing. Fred, lift your hand up. Father, I pray for my brother and this terminal reality in his body this morning. Somebody move over by him and lay hands on him. Rick, can you get to where he is? You go lay hands on him. I want anybody that's fought off a terminal reality by the grace of God in your life to move from your seat and walk over by our brother Fred right there. Father, over and against the prognosis and the reality, Hallelujah. Fred, is your little boy in here? Or is he in children's ministry? Is he in here? Yes or no? Good. He's not in here. Good. He's in children's ministry. Father, you know the, the drive in his heart. He said he's perfectly suited to go and see you. But this precious child that they've adopted, he wants to be around in order that the glory of God might live through him as a father and be displayed for that child. I pray, Father, in the name of the living God that something from an immaterial world would be manifest in his body. A what is it reality. I don't care if it's to just absolutely heal every symptom and evidence of it or if you sustain life in the face of it. I'm just going to get out on limbs and say, Father, in the name of the living God, we need what is it. We need what is it. I pray for every heart. Anybody here? got a heart or relationship problem that has just baffled you and you don't know what to do with it. I'm speaking specifically. It's not one week long, but it's gone on years. Do you have one? I do, okay? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for where we've come to the end of our mind and not knowing what to do next, act next, say next. It seems as though we've done everything. I pray this week for what is it? I pray for manna. I pray for the word of God to be brought to bear on a material world to provide a solution of satisfaction that defies any tool of being measured. I praise you and I bless you that defies the mind, that defies the world in the name of the living God. What is it? What is it? Lord, we need a what is it moment. I love you, I praise you, and I bless your name, and I exalt you in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.